Welcome to the UCM. We're your tour guides, Zan Peters and Joe Semino. And we're going to be taking you through our humble little museum's collection. The exhibits may or may not be real, but the stories sure are. Enjoy your visit today at the Uncanny County Museum. do you think best activates your like foraging instincts foraging as like going and picking the right berries and stuff and like active like that kind of it like like just like like natural instinct like i i think a lot of times you know like eating a chicken wing you know oh oh like when you go like when i'm like in my primal sense Beast mode. Be when, Ooh, like uh, like like run, running up the running up the stairs on four legs when no one's <laughs> home. <laughs> yeah, I uh, T-bone steak. Like once you get it right down to the bone, <laughs> it's just devouring. Like yeah, yeah. just full beast. Oh, L- like 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 a really good salad. You go beast mode on a salad. Just like I think. It, okay. Especially if it's like, um, I don't know, there's there's something about like, you know, tearing into a good salad. They're like, mmm, leaves. And, you no. know, especially, especially if there's like, you know, little crunchy guys in there, if there's croutons, if there's raisins, guy. if there's nuts or something, so, uh, if, there's, if there's caramelized pecans in there, you know. Yeah. Uh, like, like, I don't know. I, I feel like know, there, there, there's kind of like, there, there's like, Monkey brain activated a little bit. Like, yes, enriching. <laughs> Nutrient supplement. <laughs> yes. yes. Oh, my God. I, yeah, no, I'm like, I, I'm so healthy, but also this is scratching like a very specific <laughs> itch right now, you know, just demolishing this salad. I don't know if I've ever had that with a salad, but I feel like it's whenever I eat like a vegetable and some sort of protein because I don't eat mm. that much meat as much. And it's like, this is good. Like this is this is this is doing the thing I need it to do to survive. This is nutrient like like a, like a like a carrot and hummus. Like a like no, like log? asparagus and like a, a okay. meat dish of sorts, or like I guess a salad. Mm. I'm not a big salad person. You know this. I'm not crazy. Mm. I, I'm getting better. Made a panzanella early in the week. It was awesome. I think that also scratched <laughs> the itch a little bit there. Of like, ah, yes, mm-hmm. these are all vegetables. They have vitamins, and it's not just right, right. bad food. But um. I don't know. Like, I guess it's like, I feel like that might happen when it's like I'm eating like different Mediterranean foods. And then I think something connects to the ancestral realm. It's like the avatar state where I'm like linking back. And it's like, (laughs) this is what my, it's probably when I eat lentils cooked. I'm like, this is how my ancestors made stew, you know? Ah, yes. Or, or the other avatar connection. Like you take your uh, weird tendril ponytail. Yeah. My hair is getting long, you know? Yeah. 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 (laughs) Yeah, no, there's there's a hair in my soup. Yes, that's how you yes. connect to the soup. Oh my in god. Avatar, in in Pandora. Uh yeah, I uh I I feel like I activated a little bit of that uh this past weekend. We went to Deb's Little Oasis in Hudson and we got the whole fried fish and it was so good that I like and this wasn't a particularly large fish, but I was like picking the face meat 
out of oh, the fish, wow. like is just that good. Zan you the know? barbarian over here. That's great. Exactly. I, yeah. <laughs> but that means that means it was a good meal. You know, that's like you didn't it waste was. anything. No waste. No, no waste. waste. We use, no waste. We use every part. Every part of the fish alone. The fish. <laughs> oh my god. Deb's Little <laughs> Oasis is a crazy name for a restaurant, though. But I'm immediately. I I, I highly recommend to everyone just go on their website and read their their own description it's of the trip. restaurant. It is a trip. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh my god. But. But yeah, no, I think there's like there there's um there's certain sensations that you get eating certain kinds of food that like feel ancient in a way. Yeah. You know? I totally it's like, agree. It's like it's like for like half a second you're like this is what Liver King is talking about. Although uh, he 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 probably isn't eating like Caesar salads or No. I I like I like contemporary Italian restaurant um, takes on salads, which is to just have a bed of greens and then plop a uh, ball of burrata on top of it. Because you're like, it's a salad. It's like, this is is a fist-sized piece of cheese uh, and cream. Yeah, that's, hey, it's good, though. You know what I mean? It's they're Mediterranean. You know they don't do it's cheese. It's, it's, that is the diet. It's, it is it is part. It's fundamentally a part of it all. I do. Mm-hmm. There's a there was when I was watching like Stanley Tucci searching for Italy. There's this panzanella that they made that one of the restaurants made, but instead of it like being just all the ingredients, they like blend it all together, and it becomes mm. almost like a pudding. Oh, and it looks amazing and. That's like one of these cases where I'm like, I just, I think they, it was like kind of pudding texture. I don't really remember, but it, it just looked incredible and I really want to try it. And I feel like that's how you get me to eat salads. It's like vinegar, bread, olive oil of sorts. I'm pretty much already there. The vegetables are like supplementary. You know what I mean? So, that's why so I like wait, they just made, they, they, they made a vegetable soup is what it sounds like. They took the salad because like, do you know, like with panzanella, it's all supposed to like soak uh-huh. for a really long time. So the bread's soft okay. and it becomes part of okay. that. So they just they took that to the next level by just mushing it down from what I remember. Uh-huh. So I guess it was kind of like a soup, but okay. I have to rewatch it. You know, could be worth it. They, they, they made minestrone. No, minestrone would have like beans and stuff in it. it oh, true. Yeah, in. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I know my soups. That's one thing I can, I can adamantly <laughs> defend here. Well, man, welcome to soup talk. Welcome to Soup Talk. Welcome to the Uncanny County Museum. Um, yeah, as as you can guess, this is this is where we just you know talk endlessly about food. Um, no, oh, no. We're, we're getting we're, we're talking about uh, like I, I to 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 borrow what you just said the the fundamentals the the ways of things. Mm. Um, and uh, I thought uh, after uh, some reading I've been doing lately, uh, along with just some research we've been doing in general this year, I thought it would be interesting to um, go back to talking about Mesoamerica a little bit today and talking about the origins of the Aztec Empire, uh, but also I, I I think a more broad conversation about civilization building or building a society i should say um since that does seem to be where we uh it it seems to be a big conversation that we are all having of what a society what you know urban life should look like if we are going to get a bunch of people together to work on a project uh of 
of building a city, building an economic sphere, what should that look like? Um, how, how do we do it equitably? How do we do it uh, increasingly uh, sustainably? And I've been reading Fifth Son recently. Um, I am not finished with it yet, but I was so fascinated uh, just by even the the first third of the book and how it sort of chronicles the beginnings of uh, the Aztecs and their rise uh, that I thought we could, it, rather than trying to recap Aztec civilization, we could at least sort of talk about the philosophies that went into sort of the nation building of the uh, Triple Alliance and uh, what what we sort of imagine with the Aztecs, because in a lot of ways, we could recognize things in our own civilization. And then in another way, it is so profoundly different because it is a... Um, a language and a way of life uh, arising on a continent, you know, uh, that until 1492 was untouched by uh, a, the, the sphere of Western civilization. Uh, now, do you, do you put uh, Aztecs or Egyptians as, who's the more goth? Uh, ancient civilization in your mind Egyptians because of the eyeliner you know what you're right <laughs> I just had that revelation now I was like hold up <laughs> wait a minute <laughs> yes yes um, they, I, I I think it goes without saying most people are familiar with the human sacrifice element of the Aztecs. Yeah. Is, is is that safe to to say? If there's I if there's a so. few things that people know about it, it's step pyramids, mm -hmm. uh, Quetzalcoatl, mm -hmm. uh, and human sacrifice. Right? Uh, yeah, I think in that order too, actually. But uh, mm -hmm. yeah. step by step, step by up the pyramid. Nice. Oh man. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that seems to be about the generalization of it all. Mm -hmm. What what did kind of your impression of it uh, been? Um, I mean, in your like world history education, did you uh, did you get to talk much about uh, Mesoamerica? Uh, yeah, actually, when I the earliest I heard about it was when I was in fifth grade. And I still remember this. Mm -hmm. Actually, I was in fifth grade right. history class, okay. and we talked about Mesoamerica and the Inca. And specifically, like, I guess, you know, they generalized it to so Mayans, Aztecs, Inca. We talked about the Aztecs, and I was immediately fascinated. And mm -hmm. mostly just due to, like, the city of Tenochtitlan, if I'm pronouncing correctly. Um, but just the engineering feat that that was, where, mm -hmm. um, for those who may not know, you know, they're building this in their entire city on the lake. And right. utilizing the... Um, basically like a pylon system of driving stakes down into the river, into the, the lake bed and then building with like uh soil, like topsoil and, and grass and things like that on top. So then when you're farming, agriculturally speaking, you have water to irrigate already. So they were just like mm -hmm. good. And then everything can build off of that. And I played a lot of, I really liked, you know, the like age of empires games when I was younger and stuff like that. So I was just like, this is incredible. You know, this is going to be my personality. But um, <laughs> so I just like started becoming like really interested in that angle of it as well as then with the, 
the pyramids that they were building and then the different cultural signifiers and such. Uh, but that was probably the earliest the, that the, I heard The aliens. It. No, I didn't. That's sharing. later. That the, would the, be later. The, the, the predator sharing uh, the the, uh, the technology of pyramid building as seen in Alien versus Predator. Was that in there? I don't even remember, dude. That's. I think so. I think they, they go under the Antarctic ice sheet and find a pyramid and they're like, oh. they taught all of the ancient peoples to build pyramids God, these movies did so much damage um yeah no i i avoided that one pretty early on like to, to put this in perspective i was watching like a documentary about the the building of like tenetsuklan and the aztec pyramids and things like that from history channel before they went full ancient alien like they hadn't mm. done ancient aliens yet. it was like engineering feats or marvels it was like a whole series where they would do like different civilizations right. and how they engineered things and i think it was like an mm-hmm. aztec in the roman empire episode yeah. and i had it on my ipod my ipod nano so i was like <laughs> you know everybody's got you smartphones now to put a lot on those yeah man that's how i watched i watched pineapple express on that i was obsessed like just the whole idea of having mm. a movie in my pocket was so fascinating Wait, was it was it the, was it the like kind of squat ipod nano or it's was the, it the long thinner, boy the, the, the long t- oh okay so you could go into widescreen mode yeah, Just well, it was like it was like lo- no, not that super lo- like long, but then the screen's like a square. But it wasn't ah. the original Nano; it was like Nano two or three. That's how you're gonna watch Oppenheimer. Right? Oh yes, absolutely. The only way to watch it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, yeah, no, but like, I, it, it's such a fat. There's such a fascinating culture, and there was so much there. And you know, taking more and more history classes throughout school, I learned a lot more and a lot more of the wrong impressions that we have of them as well as like what we now know more of Mm -hmm. because there's been so many you know uh writings done on them and historical accounts that are just like bad Mm -hmm. you know so it's a very interesting time period for sure it is and we'll touch on that in a moment um to start us off i wanted to bring us here into uh this jungle within the uncanny county Mm -hmm. museum uh now, what you can see as we sort of descend down into this valley uh, is something similar to what the uh, Nahuatl-speaking peoples would have seen as they migrated down into this central Mexican valley uh, from what is now the southwestern United States. Um, if you look off into the distance, you can actually see the ruins of a former city. Uh, this would be known to the Nahal or Nahal speaking peoples as Teotihuacan. Um, now, uh, this roughly meant um, the, the place where men become gods. Um, and this was sort of this revered site as the peoples moved into this area of what is now Mexico because they sort of lived in the shadow of this ancient civilization that they didn't necessarily they they wouldn't have necessarily known it uh in its functioning form but it seemed like this grand golden age that had come previously one thing i think much like when we talked about the inca down in south america we want to keep in mind that um the aztecs as a society were fairly new on the scene um, and we're kind of a rising empire developing uh, socially and politically and economically when they were interrupted by 
smallpox and colonization. I, I think it's important to look at it as something in flux and in change uh, rather than something that was, you know, this primitive thing that was as it had been, you know, from the dawn of time. I think this is a big first step in recontextualizing what the Spanish saw and documented when they arrived in uh, North and South America, because mm-hmm. um, it's not necessarily that the reports were always deliberately wrong or misconstrued, but there was just a, a profound lack of understanding typically of what they were encountering. I think we've talked about this a bit with the um, the settlers arriving in the northeast of what's now the United States, uh, the, the New England area, the northeastern area of the, what's now the United States. Um, because that area had been, you know, decimated by smallpox uh, pretty much kind of before mass European settlement started, mm-hmm. when they arrived, it was... Uh, they they basically found an abandoned food forest and they thought it was, you know, the bounty of the new land rather than uh, simply an abandoned garden, a a type of architecture, uh, sorry, uh, a type of agriculture that they did not recognize. Uh, And I think sort of a similar, uh, because it's slightly, uh, it's happening in a different time in a different place. I think, we we still need to apply a similar kind of logic uh, to what's going on uh, down here in um, modern day Mexico. One interesting thing about the Aztecs, however, is that they actually had um, an opportunity to record themselves and their own history um, written by themselves. Uh, which is very unique, especially among uh, all of these places that pretty much had their cultures uh, wiped out uh, by the Spanish, uh, you know, not just from death, but uh, from conversion, uh, conversion to Christianity and sort of an expansion of, of European uh, hegemony into mm-hmm. the region. Um, you know, that being said, there are still people in Mexico that speak Maya language, Mayan languages. Um, but, uh, you know, for, for all intents and purposes, it was, it, it was, the, the culture was largely destroyed. Um, but before it did, it, before it was uh, wiped out for the most part, uh, there was an opportunity for them to write about themselves. So we actually know a good bit about the Aztecs that's, decently unbiased because it's coming both from them and from non-Aztec sources. Hmm. Um, now, the Aztecs in their own language, in Nahuatl, they had um, a more uh, a, a, a more pictographic, hieroglyphic type of uh, indigenous language, written language, um, you know, where uh, the, they had drawings and shapes that represented ideas as well as words. Once the Spanish came in and introduced the Roman alphabet, they actually kind of were amazed with it uh, for, for, you know, that a, 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 a phonetic language mm-hmm. um, and the potential for that. So they 
pretty quickly turned around and wrote codexes about themselves in, uh, you know, in the Nahadal language, but phonetically with the Roman alphabet. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, yeah, and a lot of these were destroyed. Oh. However, there are a certain amount of them that um, uh, were able to be preserved and not and and not really tampered with by the Spanish many moons ago when we talked about Beowulf. You know, we talk about how it's the super early, you know, uh, uh, tale that predates Christianity. Uh, but we have to filter it through the lens of Christianity because it was, you know, the the monks trying to convert the the heathen English, right, uh, Anglo Saxons to Christianity that are writing down these older tales and putting uh, a Christian overlay on top of it. We actually have fairly untouched things. There were even um, uh, Spanish missionaries that were fairly sympathetic. To the Aztecs and and recognized the destruction of their culture uh, to the point that they uh, did they they did try to write down um, what was going on and what the Aztec histories were uh, in almost like a you know what we could call like decent anthropology decent uh, ethnic studies. Uh, even, even by the standards of the day. Uh, so there, there's a good amount of preservation of not just, uh, what the, what they did in their day-to-day lives, but what their attitude of themselves was, because as we've seen, anytime a civilization writes about itself, they're typically, you know, the main character, it's, it's main character syndrome. Absolutely. Yeah. So there's a lot of complicated things going on here. Uh, the Maya are not going to have as high of an opinion of the Aztecs, uh, if, you know, while they were at war with them. Yeah. Uh, the Spanish are going to look at them as, you know, uh, heathens. Uh, and, you know, uh, after watching how human sacrifice works in their society, definitely be like, we got to convert these guys. Um. And the Aztecs are going to have their opinion, which is self-aggrandizing. So like a lot of things in history, uh, we have to we have to filter through a lot of uh, subjectivity to get to something approaching objective. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's also always kind of a a strain of truth in um, in any sort of mythology and any sort of um, an idea of a people of of how exactly their idea of of exceptionalism and how it it do, it is rooted in, in how they carry out their society. Hmm. So um when the Aztecs or the people that would be known as as the Aztec Empire, the Nahuatl speaking people uh come into this uh central valley, they're coming from again uh the deserts of uh southwestern uh uh United States, what is now the United States, you know, got to use some modern geography. And the interesting thing is, as a formerly desert dwelling people um, coming down uh, through North America, they're uh, also sort of sort of a later migration potentially into into the Americas. They have an astounding 
understanding of the movement of the stars. Um, and this is in part being a desert people, you have phenomenal views of the stars at night, you know, especially back then. Hmm. So the Aztec, this is where um, the Maya and Aztec get their notoriously famous calendars because they they have sort of this this amazing uh, vantage point of the movement of the stars through the seasons to the point where the Aztecs have the year down to 365 days. They know exactly how yeah. long a year is. And this will become very important uh, when it comes to civilization building. But in a um, in a world of uh, survival and starting agriculture, it's it's vitally yeah. important to know the seasons. Yeah, no, it's absolutely important. I mean, you need to know when to plant, when things are going to grow. And also it helps to establish patterns of living, which I think is really important. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. So with that, with this, this sort of technology, um, they're, they're kind of pushed around a little bit. Again, they're newcomers. Now, they're probably in sort of, they're probably part of a group of people that are a later migration into the Americas. Hmm. At least this is one of the things that um, uh, Camilla Townsend uh puts forward and uh I, I should say again you know this is a very recent book fifth son um and you know is really not only trying to humanize the aztecs but really trying to uh um provide as much accurate information as to where exactly they're from both their mythological idea of their beginnings as long as well as like what the archaeology supports gotcha um so when the aztecs arrive there's already been like all of these civilizations that have come and gone. And then here they are arriving in like, you know, the, the 1200s and 1300s into the area. And they kind of get this bit of land that no one else wants this muddy land in this Valley where it just sort of forms this basin. It's very difficult to grow anything and they're one one of the ways they sort of rise to prominence in the region is that their warriors are known as particularly skilled. So they actually get hired as mercenaries quite often by other tribes hmm. in the region. So they sort of start as um, as hired fighters as uh, and this is sort of where they hone their their craft of war that they would be very famous for later. Um, and, you know, with this, they're able to start to turn this valley into a cultural center. They're very interested in the previous inhabitants of Mexico, uh, the Olmecs, the Toltecs, mm -hmm. and the Maya. The Maya had sort of had a, um already had uh, a couple of like civilization collapses where they had built big urban centers and then for possibly some environmental reasons, possibly political reasons, economic collapse, uh, they just sort of uh, uh, started to move outward 
from uh, the cities and kind of left the uh, let the jungle retake a lot of their urban centers. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would be incorrect to say that the Maya went extinct because their their language groups and cultures were maintained. Um, but as as far as like an urban uh, material culture, they just sort of stopped doing that. Uh, the the Olmecs and the Toltecs, of course, had the uh, rubber ball game that was uh, loved, beloved by the Aztecs yeah. and, uh, you know, many me- uh, Mesoamerican civilizations. But the Aztecs really liked it. And they, they also appreciated it as this ancient, sacred um, sport. You know, they were incredibly, yeah. incredibly passionate about it. Um, now, as far as like, there, there is the story that, you know, every time they played the game, the losers or the winners, depending on, you know, who's telling the story would be sacrificed. And this appears to really only have happened in very particular, uh, instances and games. This was not happening every time they played the game. Right. You'd run out of people. I mean, that would be kind of. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when we get down to the numbers, because I, I guess this we, we should get into their religion like like others uh, of the region. They had a belief in human sacrifice. Um, and uh, even in sort of their national uh, uh, their their nationalist origin stories. There is a you know a brave uh, princess of a captured tribe who you know sort of steps forth and offers to be sacrificed. Um, you know to you know to sort of like maintain her dignity. That this was a a widespread practice. It's worth acknowledging. Um, you know when talking about these civilizations and it can really sound brutal because it kind of is. Um, but it's really difficult for us to wrap our heads around uh, as people with a, you know, a post enlightenment sense of individuality. You know, we bash on, yeah, we bash on, you know, individualism in, you know, the, the libertarian extremes of it. But, um, you know, this is, a, a kind of brutal way of life, but it it fit with their idea of, um, you know, just how brutal the world was. They viewed themselves as underdogs. They were newcomers to the area that were getting pushed around by the more established tribes that had better land for farming. Now, as you alluded to earlier, they uh, were able to actually begin cultivating things in and around um, their lakey, muggy, swampy region mm-hmm. um, because, uh, again, previous cultures that had been in the area that were still sort of on the fringes practiced uh, this method of making kind of floating platforms and islands. Yeah. Uh, uh, and they adopted that and were able to, you know, cultivate beans and cotton and corn, uh, you know, just as well as uh, everyone else. Um, so uh, they, they were really able to, 
you know, kind of make something out of the the nothing they were dealt as as latecomers to the to the region. Now, if we fast forward uh, in their their history a little bit, there sort of uh, begins to be, you know, some tribes sort of start to uh, show more dominance uh, in the region. Um, in uh, fourteen twenty six. Uh, there is a, uh, a tribal leader, Tezazamak of Azcapazlaco. Uh, that's, I, I think my best, my best shot at it. Um, he dies, uh, <laughs> and this throws oh the region into, uh, quite a bit of turmoil. Um, oh now the reason why this goes the way it does why why this is such a kind of disaster for him to die suddenly is because um the culture uh you know would have been one that practiced you know multiple wives for uh you know men especially sure. well-to-do men oh yeah. um now in in some ways, this is very helpful because it kind of expands a, an idea of family yes. uh, amongst a uh, a region. You know, um, you would have different wives, uh, you know, raising and and concubines raising your children who were, even if they were not necessarily like from an official wife you know, your children were not necessarily, uh, you know, treated any worse, you know, yeah. um, there, there was, there was a sense of, uh, familial, uh, duty to mm-hmm. all of your offspring. And this, uh, allowed for it that, you know, there were, there were still nobility, but, um, you, uh, you have this, this very large extended family, different, you know, extending typically into different neighborhoods of a city. Um, and this also connected things economically. Different cities and family compounds were typically centered on, uh, you know, the production of different uh, goods. Uh, and this interconnectivity, you know, really was, 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 was part of the, the community building. This could become an issue, though, because there was no clear line of inherits the throne when dad dies. Oh no. Because while this is a patriarchal society, it is not patrilineal in the sense that um, your oldest son automatically gets uh, everything. Gotcha. Uh, As Camilla Townsend puts in the book, it helps to be older. Um, but really, it was sort of expected that, like, as your sons grew and, you know, com- competed in sports and in battle and all sorts of things, they were sort of supposed to prove who was the most capable, who would be the best leader. Um, hmm. And that was sort of supposed to uh, determine who was going to be next in line. I, and again, it didn't have to be from your official wife. But it did help. Um, hmm. Now, when he dies, uh, there is a son of one of his concubines named Isqual, who is uh, whose name uh, means uh, Obsidian Serpent. Cool. That's a cool name. Yeah. Yeah. Pr- pretty cool. 
he actually surprisingly kind of kind of one of his more one of the more humble wives makes a uh makes a play at uh sort of this power struggle um he has uh, a half brother named uh Huitzahuitl, uh who is sort of the more looked at as the more legitimate offspring mm-hmm. it, it basically delves into an insanely complex struggle for power that uh, a lot of people make uh contentions for it but really it comes down to its quaddle and uh a competitor named maxla um mm. who is uh from the town of uh, tepanek um now it's quaddle proves himself in battle and as the strategist and actually in 1430 manages to kind of come out on top uh in part you know due to his own prowess as well as his nephew uh Talek Kalel, who um who sort of assists him in the military uh, conquest. Now, again, we get into a little bit of bias um, because uh, Itzquadal does not actually take power uh, after this is done. He stays because he politically, it's a little awkward based on where uh, his, where his mother is from is not, uh, is not politically, uh, looked upon very well, it would be kind of awkward and would probably just result in another power struggle mm-hmm. um, if he were to ascend the throne. So it ends up being his brother um, who takes the throne. And actually the historians, the Aztec historians, will say that it's because uh, uh, the nephew, Tlacalel, um was actually the real military strategist. So you can mm. see a little bit of like there probably was some revision to the record at some point, but this is internal. This isn't the Spanish doing it. This is probably the Aztecs, gotcha. um, you know, doing it because they want to prop up the legitimacy of uh, Huitzilil. So Huitzilil has a child that um, that is named Montezuma. Mm, there it is. And this is actually not the Montezuma that we're ah. thinking of, but this is the ancestor of the very famous uh, Montezuma mm-hmm. uh, that uh, we will come to know. So this basically establishes uh, the 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 royal lineage that will take us up until Spanish contact. Interesting. Um, it's very complicated. Oh uh, yeah, no, I'm I'm sure it's yeah, it's. And, you know, this is this is a, a, a the bias of, of an Anglophone reading this history, but it is looking at a lot of words that, you know, do not have cognates in your own language and uh, yeah, and, and, and trying to keep it all straight. Um, by uh, 1431, uh, Maxla, the uh, the, the Tepanek uh, flees the region uh, and the rule is pretty much solidified. Now, what's important is that these people that um, Itzquadl and uh, Huitzilil represent are the Mexica people. Mm. Um, and they are centered out of Tenichlon. Um Now, there are also uh, other sort of centers, two, uh, two other major centers. 
Texcoco and Tlalpan. And together, these three cities form the Triple Alliance, uh, as it is known. Mm. Now, this is not um, this is not necessarily like uh, the United States or even really the EU. There's no one getting together and agreeing on some sort of constitution of how power will be shared. It is it's more like a recognition of we're the three major powers. We're not going to waste time fighting each other, but rather we are just going to um, uh, agree to exist and help each other. Um, and whoever is sort of the biggest and most dominant in the region, we will capitulate to them. But it's it's a ebb and flow. Um, at this point in the history, the Mexica people of Tenochtitlan are the largest and most dominant, and especially after this, uh, its Coatl victory, um, they sort of get first dibs when it comes to dividing up the territory mm-hmm. um, that has been uh, conquered after all of this kerfuffle, after the, the death of the, uh, the ruler that I mentioned earlier. Um, however, in sort of a, an interesting kind of, not necessarily humility, but also practicality, they don't, they take a big section of territory, but not too much. They don't want to create resentment. There's, uh, b- between the other powers, they really want to sort of make this alliance work because it's still their empire against the world against the rest of Mexico. They really see themselves, even as their empire starts to grow and they become very prosperous, um, they see themselves as the underdogs that made it. They understand that uh, they are, they only have the prosperity that mm. they have because they have had to sacrifice and make um, consolations when necessary. And this even sort of goes into their attitude of human sacrifice. Now we sort of get into a, a, a the where they start to expand as they start to move into other territories that surround them. This is where local rulers and tribal leaders will basically um, get people to send as tribute to the mm. capitals, mainly Tenochtitlan. Um, right. Uh, famously, the the sort of island, uh, the island city, city on the lake. Yep, yep. Now everyone had to provide tribute. Now this was sort of tracked with their calendar system, uh, which again they had sort of two calendars. They had you know the the a calendar for for uh, you know things like uh, a uh, it, it, you know the 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 seasons, the earth, and then they had a, another calendar that um, was sort of uh, rotating seasons for more uh, uh, spiritual reasons. Um, and uh, Camilla Townsend sort of compares this to how we have our solar calendar, but then we also have this rotating thing of seven days where we, uh, you know, it's not really related to anything on the calendar. It just helps us know when things are when mm-hmm. things happen mm-hmm. so there, there's sort of a broader calendar and then something for for smaller uh increments of time 
um, and it occasionally syncs up and doesn't, and, and sometimes doesn't, uh, but it doesn't really uh, throw the system into disarray. It's just it's just how we plan things. You know, something can be on a Monday, and that's relevant, but it can also be relevant what day of the year that Monday falls on. Just sort of think of it that way. Gotcha. Um, so this triple alliance, you know, as it expands, the, the the conquered tribes are, you know, people are taken as slaves, people are sent as, you know, tributes for sacrifice. Um, a lot of times they, you know, just sort of like we saw with the Inca, they, they want this sort of hegemonic empire. They don't really care so much about taking over culturally as much as they do, um, you know, getting economically what they want from a region, making sure that at a certain time of year, you are sending this amount of cotton to the capital. You are sending this amount of beans to the capital, this amount of corn to the capital. Um, it, you know, this is very important. It can be very complicated because often these shipments had to be made at different times of the year. Um, and you know, sort of, you have to, one of the images that Townsend conjures in the book is, you know, these, the, the captured people, you know, being sent towards the capital, um, you know, wandering through these fields, you know, seeing sort of the might of this empire, uh, that has, uh, absorbed them. And it does sort of create, um, it, it does sort of create like this, this odd motivation of expansion because you don't want to, send your own people to be sacrificed to be killed because we have right. we want to understand that you know they still loved their children yeah know. and when you have those kin systems set up yes, you're always yeah. going to go after people that are not a part of the community it's always going to be somebody the outsider and it just makes mm-hmm. the most sense that way and it's difficult because we have our contemporary secular cynicism about these kinds of things and it's difficult to say if uh you know there's someone at the top who sees this as the clear ploy to keep people in line like that like we we want to imagine that there's someone at the top that doesn't actually think that the world will stop turning if the sacrifices don't keep coming if you know we don't keep dragging people to the top of the great pyramid and cutting their heart out with a piece of obsidian um mm. you know because that, that was what happened uh and it didn't happen perhaps as often as the spanish suggested you know there's right this estimate of eighty thousand sacrifices when it might have been four thousand sacrifices but still 4,000, that's a, that's that's a lot, lot of hearts getting ripped out of chests. A lot of people, yeah. It's, yeah, you know, and it's... But the people being conquered also shared in this religion. And that's the yeah. thing that we have to understand and try to... It's such a stretch to try and put ourselves in in that mode of thinking because uh, it's it's just so foreign to to a contemporary westernized audience and i'm that doesn't mean that it's necessarily a better way of life (laughs) but it is also sort of like this this onus of involvement of this keeps everyone committed to the 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 project to the to the empire building you know um there was also sort of this idea that even though 
the, the at the tribal level, they were thinking, well, this is just sort of our turn on top, and this could very easily turn back around on us. So we might as well reap the benefits for now, but we want to remember that there is death in the world and that there is a price to be paid for success. Hmm. Uh, you know, and also this is not human sacrifice is certainly not alien to the rest of the world. No, um, we've talked about it in Norway and, you know, with the Vikings and also the with Greeks the, the had Greeks. it. Yeah. The, an- the ancient Hebrews had it. Yeah. Um, everybody it, it, dabbled a little bit. Everybody you know? dabbled a little in human sacrifice and at the very least animal sacrifice. Yeah. Um, some sort of sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, even if it sort of takes different forms, you know, public executions in Europe and yeah, that's true. The, the way that everyone witnessing it, participating in it is, uh, I don't want to say like complicit, but everybody is sort of putting some stock into this idea that we are all here and we are all committed. I'm trying yeah. to, I, I obviously do not condone human sacrifice. I'm going to, you know what, brave stance. I'm going to put that on record, but I am trying to approach it neutrally yeah. to understand how they, how they situated themselves in their, in their own cosmology. Right. And, and in their, their sense of self. Cause this is, mm-hmm. this is a, this is a very different way of looking at the world, but also it's not, it's not entirely uh, alien either because we have we have modern sociology to sort of understand like this um, and, and modern economics to be like we have these people who are prosperous, but they are prosperous because of the sacrifice uh, and excess that is being bled off of a lower class that is being produced at a lower level of people uh uh, so in the social hierarchy and we are um we have uh in a way freed ourselves, but at the expense of other people in a way because the aztec empire was you know, it was it, it was it didn't have money. You know, if you were within the empire, you were typically very prosperous. It with the human sacrifice, it kind of is like this real it, without, you know, um, down, you know, without being too reductive. It's kind of like it's like a real life. The ones who walk away from Amelis, which we live in now, just at, with economic exploitation and the prison industrial complex Um, yeah you know that's that's how we ruin lives of people at the bottom so that you know the rest of us can enjoy Mm -hmm. excess consumer goods Uh, right and you know you and me are in the middle class and not even enjoying it all that much (laughs) yeah (laughs) because we're even we are um you know subjects to our billionaire overlords yeah so it i guess i i I sort of wanted to bring us to this point of like you know how do we how how do you feel about this how do we how do we broach the subject of this how do we talk about it without sounding condescending or imperialistic but 
Well, you know, just just talking mm. about this as another way that an empire is is being formed. I mean, I think, yeah, for for sure, you don't want to come at it, at it with like this Western gaze and also as acknowledging the bias that we have, and especially in a globalized world, that this yeah. the way that we're looking at history and what we've been taught and how we think of society is much more individualistic than it would have been in the past. And, you know, I've been mm -hmm. reading, like, as I've mentioned a few times on here, The Weirdest People in the World uh, by Joseph Heinrich, where he's really going in depth to understand this idea of the weird psychology and how it particularly affected people in Europe due to the... Weird the, being an acronym? Weird being an acronym, thank you. Weird also being weird in general, because it it's peculiar <laughs> in general. But, um, yeah, the acronym being Western Educated Industrialized Rich and Democratic. That's where the acronym has been used for the case of the weird psychology. But basically, his whole thesis point being that the way human beings throughout history and time have gotten close together and built up their societies are through kin-based relationships, family mm. relationships, and that by you know, through marriage systems, through having multiple wives in polygamy situations, multiple different kids, but then marrying each other to these clans or to each other's groups, you can create a strong enough bond to start building on that for civilizations. Then if you start mixing in institutions such as religion, uh, different rituals, uh, you know, specific ways to make certain things like for instance i think one of the examples he was providing was like for a poison dart or some sort of poison that was made in this insanely meticulous way but it's passed down through generations and no one changes it because if you change it you could be potentially messing up a lot of other stuff so it's like mm -hmm. the trust within the past but also to preserve that knowledge and keep it moving forward and the same thing within rituals in a religious situation where you're essentially the way that these gods and creations are are coming about and it's not necessarily negating the spiritual aspect of it but it's that there's enough people believing into it and really holding on to that fact that it really thrives as its unifying factor throughout a culture so then when you get to when the catholic church is created and even that has its own kind of levels of this where certain parts of the religion originally and certain other elements are being thrown out um it creates an institution that is essentially is removing the ideas of kinship and uh, making ones to go outward to find uh, marriages and to find partners and extend families, becoming more individuals, becoming more about the money in the merchantile areas later on in the 1500s than it is about closing the gaps within Europe and making sure that all of these cultures and, and groups and tribes would have been more connected to establish their cultural mm. identities. And this is like a really quick summary. So it, it is a very interesting book and I'm definitely recommending it too. But in this conversation, I feel like it's a really interesting lens to take it on because if we're looking at the Aztecs through this non-weird psychological lens, right, that they're following in this kin-based relationship that they would have established themselves as this way. We are this tribe. We marry ourselves into these other groups around us, but then they become a part of us too. And this is how we're going to establish. And then the human sacrifice is a part of the ritual. It's a part of the religion. It's something we do. Everybody's partaking in it, or at least the people up top are partaking in it. And that is effectively forming the way that the culture is mm -hmm is establishing itself because it's interesting that like, and he points this out pretty early on that 
human beings aren't necessarily really good at working together. We are collaborative and we are we are a collective species, right? We have to work together to survive, mm-hmm. but we don't like it. And it's very co- like mm-hmm. and you can see it historically and you can see it like just from evidence that it's like it's very hard to get people to work together. It just is because there's so many differences right. and even with some of the consequences in these kin-based relationships is like revenge issues. So like for mm-hmm. example, if like, clans can work together and help each other with like building projects or with exchanging and economic stuff. But like if somebody accidentally kills a member of a different clan in a hunting, you know, party, like just for going out and catching food, if somebody dies accidentally and is accused of murder, all bets are off. It's probably going to start a massive conflict because there isn't that idea of like, well, let's have a court system. It's no eye for an eye. Like you attacked me. So I attack you. And then because somebody else attacked you, then I'm going to attack you. And it's like fields and McCoy's type. Yeah, exactly. And, and there was a lot of actual evidence even into like, uh, into these like, uh, psychological, uh, studies that they were conducting like in present day groups and different cultures throughout the world. And he, he points to some much better examples too, but basically that there's all of these different value systems in place. So when I'm, mm-hmm. when we're linking this back to with the Aztecs, that's kind of the point of entry that I'm interested in where I guess I'm part of that camp where the, the human sacrifice element here is uh, probably something that was started within the culture or within the tribes around that they either adopted or start, you know, were a part of, and it just mm-hmm. became a, a a part of the tradition not to remove. Yeah. Right? It's so, it's a fundamental tenet to how we go yeah. about our lives, and therefore to change it would be crazy. I mean, that would be so hard to break, especially because you're dependent right. on assuming this is working. And even mm-hmm. if they're not thinking of, oh, well, maybe this is working, maybe it's not, you know, it, war and bloodshed is a part of that. It's em- it's, I mean, it's a part of empire building, let's mm-hmm. be real, right? That there is always going to be some sort of conflict. But it's not, I, I, I do think a little bit of it gets either romanticized or like turned into these more monstrous effects. Not that killing people is, mm-hmm. isn't bad as it is, but like we don't do that for the Romans, for instance, with gladiator pits. It's more of like, ha, those those guys are just crazy. Well, we, you we, know? we have we have some sort of idea of like, even though, you know, th- there were often prisoners and I think that is looked at like there's some idea of like, oh, but they got a fighting chance, you know, like that's I can, that's yeah. like that that's like that that's like that that appeals to our ro- more romantic idea of of gladiators and you know even though it's it's often prisoners and and animals you know getting getting slaughtered but also like yeah i mean i don't even want to get into it cuz it's brutal but like it, it mm-hmm. it's a lot of like uh bad crimes being committed you know for entertainment right. which yeah. but it's what I'm saying. It's like, I don't think we can compare and contrast because all of these places are different because they're being, mm-hmm. cre- they're, they're utilizing that same idea of like how to start a civilization. Okay. My family must marry your family. And then we're going to keep intermarrying. And the sense of that, we're going to connect ourselves on a familial level to be able to have mm-hmm. a bond strong enough to establish this empire. And now everybody starts to branch off into different categories because the culture is influenced depending on the region you're in and all of these other elements. Yeah. Right? But I think, where we come at this from the present day looking backwards right and trying to understand that part of it it's you don't want to you don't want to cast the globalized view right mm-hmm. or this more like this this you know anglified viewpoint of it too or or christian one that is embedded into us because it's like you know a religion that has affected a lot of things it it does mm-hmm. change our understanding of of morals and cultures and how we look at the past 
But at the same time, you don't want to be, I, I don't think we want to excuse, uh, you know, human sacrifice as like, it was fine for them, but not for them. Mm-hmm. Did, like, I, and I don't think we're situating ourselves in that camp really at all. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I do think when looking at these, these pest cultures and how these places are, or how these these empires are forming, especially within Mesoamerica, mm-hmm. that if we're looking at it through that kin-based relationship, it starts to make a lot more sense as to how they got to that point and why things were right. working the way they were, mm-hmm. um, rather than just like casting all of these other versions of it onto them of like, oh well, they you know they they persevered or I don't know they mm-hmm. were just really good at like engineer. I mean, all these things are a part of it, I guess. But you mm-hmm. know what I mean. Yeah, and I think we're also in this moment where, I mean, it's it's been an ongoing crisis of, you know, the, uh, I mean, really, like, as society has become more secular and, yeah. you know, uh, increasingly, uh, you know, the, I, I think, as increasingly weird, yeah. you know, yeah. as, as we have all of these philosophies that are really uh, deconstructive, that we we really are into examining why we do things, there's there's less of a sense of well, if we if we pull down this one tent pole, if we pull out this one peg, the whole thing collapses. I I think we're 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 not we're 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 figuring our way out of that but it does sort of leave us with this whole thing of well why do we do anything why why do we go through anything remotely ritualistic if it doesn't serve a purpose like like i think there's you know like like we're like we're trying to get to something a something uh objective and utilitarian underneath it all and then i think also once you get to that point you're like well then what's the what's even the point to life you know well, um, yeah, but I do think we still we do fall into those ritual things. Like it's the problem mm-hmm. with even capitalistic thought, or when you get too buried into theory. Like because we because postmodernism exists and we've blown everything into essentially speculation and trying to wrap our heads around these like man-made horrors beyond our comprehension. <laughs> you know, as an example. But like, yes. think about it when it's like okay. Um, well, if we remove this, if we if we take away this way of of purchasing things, or if somebody strikes, for instance, uh, that's the first step forward. And then you're going to have a lot of people who are going to say, "Well, but if we do that, then this, 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 this," which they're not inherently wrong, right? They well, will, Joe, there what will if, be what consequences. If we, what if but... we let people? What if we let people wear flip flops in like places like not at the beach? Like then mm-hmm. society just starts crumbling. It might. I don't know. Right. There's going to be that. But there's that paranoia for some. Do you get what I'm saying? Like, I'm not saying that any of this would would actually happen. Right. Like fundamental change needs to happen in order to progress forward. But there's always going to be societal paranoia because we are ritualistic peoples and we Mm -hmm. like things to be the same or that to stay structured. It's why people hate change. It's why people are very afraid of it. And this is different culturally, of course, because there's different Mm -hmm. contexts. But I think that for people to like in the sense of this like pr- working together on a project or moving ways forward there's so many different ideologies and conflicting thoughts that it does it, especially if you're like existential like i think both of us mm-hmm. are it leaves you to wonder like okay well what do we do 
What's the plan? Yeah. It's like making plans in a group chat with people and nobody's mm-hmm. schedule is working out and nobody knows what they want right. to eat. And you're like, I am <laughs> done with everything. I can't. Like, do you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just, it's yeah. that kind of feeling. But I think that still happens today. We just can all like, you know, talk over the phone on it and like be mm-hmm. on TikTok and people from across the world are talking about the same thing. Like, it's a totally yeah. different we we live in a totally different sphere, quite literally. If I could, if I could maybe provide an example that is very yeah, low it. stakes, low impact, <laughs> like, and I'm this is again not a judgment because like there's plenty of days where I don't even get around to it, but just the the mental fortitude of getting up and making your bed. Oh yeah, like the world does not end if you do not do it. But right. there is like some some like readiness for the day that you that that, you know, falls into motion with that simple gesture. Mm. Um, and I think I, I, I think within all of the meaningless things that we do every day is where we find, you know, some sort of meaning to life. Yeah, Uh, I think for for as developed as the Aztec civilization was both technologically, economically, you know, it was by by all by all measures, a proper, you know, empire on the rise that, you know, had it not been for disease, uh, you know, uh, probably would have, you know, continued onward. But uh the you have to imagine just as there was in ancient rome and ancient greece there were probably people that questioned the existence of the gods but recognized the necessities of going through the motions in order to um to to maintain a sense of society and a sense of community um one of the things that camilla townsend talks about in the book you know aside from you know she does compare uh, make make a comparison to the Greeks and Romans is accounts of both people that Spanish made accounts of people that remembered the the time of sacrifices because they did outlaw it you know as they were trying to work with the Spanish you know before uh, they completely took over um but they remember it not as like the crazy um savage like blood orgy that i think i think uh the the spanish would have portrayed it as yeah and that it could actually it, it, more often than not while there were festivities there were some pomp and circumstance there was a little bit there was a there was a little taste of midsummer in there. Mm. Uh, there was a somberness to it. There was gravity to taking a life. Um, and I think we can sort of start to measure that against the the brutality that other civilizations have that they they don't even though they do have these things that do not square against our sense of individuality and our sense of morality there still was a gravity to all of those decisions that 
would lead to the end of a life. You know, even like, because even in a war, we understand, uh, we understand that the people you're fighting against are also human beings. You know, it's not necessarily like pure dehumanization. There is that recognition of humanity, uh, at least in the aftermath of things. Um, do, you mean, do you mean like, like in what way? Because I, there, there's definitely some examples of a lot of dehumanization to tell you the truth. No, there cert, certainly, but I think like any time, like in the aftermath of a, a war, like a a recognition of a worthy opponent, you know, like uh, okay, yeah, I guess it's a. I, I get what you're saying. I mean, I I, I yeah. usually think the same way, and then when I was reading the uh, kill anything that moves, especially with Vietnam, right. that's that is unfortunately really broken that that for me that idea just because of like violence is very scary and obviously hot take but no it's a very especially within these wars and even i imagine in the past and it was probably worse like i guess it depends because if you're if Mm -hmm. your society is built off of crushing another and you can't let the idea of the people that you were fighting being equal mm-hmm. in any way then then yeah. you wouldn't do that i'm not saying that like we don't i just want to like yeah, just to yeah. open that up a bit uh, more because right. i totally get where you're going with this and it's and i agree right. absolutely um i guess even within like the barbarian campaigns within rome mm-hmm. or even the the crusades and other places where it's like you are going to fight not for territory gain always but sometimes for just this like to get people whipped up into a frenzy and then mm-hmm. maybe later, if you're lucky, realizing that was a mistake, but sometimes it takes yeah. decades and then it's going to be that it change. Does. Yeah. So it's, it's like the way violence integrates itself into our society, I think is a very, it's, it's horrifying for sure, mm-hmm. but also very interesting because yeah. like what we're talking about it here where it, it's like this sort of, we are so far removed from, Oh yeah. From violence. And I mean, and yeah. I think we want to, we we would like to keep it that way, but you know. Yeah, no, and I, I don't want to pretend it, that it's yeah, like yeah, I yeah. know what this we, is. Like, we, no, no, no. We, we're but... we're. I I think I think we yeah could acknowledge our our lives have distanced us far enough from yeah uh, from real tangible violence that to us it's it's an academic thing yeah. almost and that and and there's there's certainly a lot of privilege and things to to break down with for that. sure i i guess i'm just also thinking of like um when i when i took a class on uh uh jewish mysticism we were talking about the writings of maimonides you know in the in sort of the medieval period and um one of the things that was happening in in the intellectual circles of you know uh of of Judaism was looking you know as 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 they're examining scriptures you know trying to reckon with their own history of uh of sacrifice uh you know in in the days of the temple and there's sort of uh an idea and an understanding that we as a people, we as a civilization, mm-hmm. we, we were like almost 
we, we weren't ready for this more civilized world that we have inherited because of the brutality that uh, people in the past were subjected to. Hmm. Um, and I mean, they're even sort of talking about it more from an animal sacrifice point of view, even though you, right. know, you could go back far enough and probably and, and you would find human sacrifice as well. Um, but but even just the idea of animal sacrifice no longer being tasteful. Right. Uh, that uh, that you could that they could look back at it and be like, this was even though we don't practice this anymore, this was this was the the world for we we are looking at um we are looking back at people who are in a different world, in a different struggle for existence than we are now. And mm. that's people, you know, in the Middle Ages. That's crazy, actually. You know, that's, look that's looking so back on something because they they were, you know, in a in a pre fourteen ninety two Spain, you know, it was your the the world, you know, the the past looked brutal. Yeah, you know that's true. Uh, yeah, you no know, pre, uh, pre exile, pre, you know, um, or when when did the Crusades start? That was like uh, ooh, early. That's like. Eleven mm, hundreds into the thirteen hundreds. Yeah. There, there's guess, a multiple crusades. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's it, I. I don't know. I guess I'm always interested in like those things that even now, like we look back on that era as so brutal, but they were looking back on an even more brutal history. Yeah, and we're saying like we're on the right track. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Because it's, mm-hmm. it's the thing I've been wondering about recently, too, where I'm like, we look at things now as being, well, there's two things here. It's that I'm sure in the future, someone's going to look back at us and then be like, wow, that was a pretty, that was a brutal time then. And then even in their time, it could be their own stuff going on. It's that like, we are always living in historical moments. And then when you mm-hmm. realize it, it helps, I think, to, it's scary, but I also think it helps to contextualize a lot of the chaos that might yeah seem that way because like you know the i feel like at least for when we were growing up so this is going to be a little bit more narrow perspective but like 2000s well post 2001 (laughs) to like (laughs) i don't know 2016 things are in like a lull and maybe it's also Mm because we're just younger i don't know depending on how aware you are of stuff Mm -hmm. happening around you obviously because if you're Mm -hmm. in the middle of something that changes the perspective but Right. Because of the more hyperness to everything online and the mass amount of information we get and misinformation, all of these things, I feel like it's just super, it's just a lot all of the time. There's always bad right. things happening all of the time. But it's not the first time that's happened, right? It's almost like yeah. the reality check of the world. So it, in a way, like moving forward, knowing that I feel like is always, is, is good context to have in mind so it doesn't feel like this is coming out of nowhere. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? It's like these these are all things yeah. that occur in histories. Things keep moving on, you know, and human mm-hmm. beings with it. So we'll figure it out, I hope. But I think I hope that... so too. I hope so too. I think like I don't know, can't I can't I, I feel like we could find different ways to display our loyalty to our to our fellow man, you know, that, you know, isn't uh isn't as intense maybe mm. Mm. but 
you know, that's this is also like the the thing of of collaboration. Everyone's yeah. like, there, there's there's got to be like some demonstration of like um of commitment. You know, that's mm. that's that's what that's what it's what seems to have have been required of everyone. Everyone has to you know do some sort of public display of commitment. I am in. I am I bought know. in on this. Maybe and should... you know, there's. There's Heaven's Gate, which maybe is well, maybe were... is 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 the extreme version of it. Yeah, um, then we're going backwards. Mm-hmm, you know, we mm-hmm. don't build pyramids like we used to, and maybe there's something only there. I only don't know. for Bass Pro Shops. I know that story is crazy, but yeah. <laughs> the store and the story—it's just so bizarre. I um. No, I mean, I I don't know. I guess that's that's always the interesting thing of like what kind of what what project is. How could you even form something like that? We're not going to mm-hmm. figure it out here, but maybe one day, I don't know. But it is something that requires <laughs> like there's just so there's so much involved in that that is always like mm-hmm. the the struggle to it, but I think I think good intention is like the first role there and the willingness to participate, right? right. Of like uniting together to get something done. We're going to have to eventually. So it's 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 figuring out the way forward there without without compromise to centrism either and just being mm-hmm. like well both sides have a point right cuz no there's a lot of times that they don't so it's 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 <laughs> i don't know right. it's huh it's difficult to navigate for sure but it that's is. that is when the past comes in handy cuz at least we can mm-hmm. view the ways that mm-hmm. culture function in the past and how different cultures uh you know, got to where they are and how they they structured their their um civilizations as well. Well said. Well, at least the Aztecs, you know, had a had a chance to write that down, and we can yeah. ingest it now. And it's not there is a good amount of history that is lost, but there is also history that we can benefit from and learn from. And like everything else. Uh, with humanity that the positivity that I always have is that it is compounding knowledge and uh, compounding ideas that might not get us to somewhere perfect, but can keep getting us closer to perfect. Hmm. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Well, thank you so much for bringing all this information and doing this research. This was incredibly interesting and, you know, well well put together story-wise you have me every second of the way so thank you again so much for bringing this to us this was great thank you thank you um my my apologies to anyone that knows uh Nahadal pronunciation mm-hmm. better um but uh yeah no this was incredibly interesting and i am looking forward to continuing to to read about uh the aztecs um but yeah, no, thank you for giving me an opportunity to talk about this stuff. And thanks for uh, also bringing in uh, your own uh, very, very informed uh, knowledge on this type of stuff. It's it's a really it's... interesting and an odd conversation. And you yeah. got to um, you got to put on a lot of you got to try on a lot of ideas like jackets, you know, it is and, to, tr- to try yeah. and wait to wade your way through through uh through this stuff it's it very much sometimes it feels like like john bernthal and any any thing he's performing where it's like let me tell you something let me tell you something right now when it comes to this like that's how i feel when you're trying to figure out like um 
how to navigate some of these things because it's tough and it's finding the right language. And I'm sure there's academics who are way better at that than, mm-hmm. than both of us. But I think it's an always important to come at it with empathy and really, you know, connecting to that level of it and trying to understand and not to just dismiss something. Because also if we start doing that and categorizing things based on right and wrong and that in our perspective of 2023 that's a very uh puritanical version of doing things and that that, Mm -hmm. that's one perspective right so it's important to to try to look at these things with and understand but also accept a little bit of the i cannot understand i cannot understand based on just not being in that place not being from those from the people you know what i mean like not having that cultural awareness Mm -hmm. and even Mm -hmm. of the past yep yep yeah well um yes yes thank you um well uh i guess uh that wraps up our uh tour here i guess we can uh move on and uh oh uh oh i guess uh okay we're we're out of the jungle back on oh i i guess we're back on the highway going towards the uncanny county museum speaking (laughs) of which stick it or ticket joe have you seen any good bumper stickers I did, actually, and this might be one that's pretty common. I'm not sure. This was just a weird, strange one. And it said, make America emo again. And I thought, what a message. Oh. What a message. Hmm. A very, yeah, I don't know. When, when, were we, when were we at our most emo? I don't know. It just, it, it, again, it, it had me like, huh. Right, because like, when was it? Have we not? I think Midwest emo has become more popular. So are we not emo anymore? <laughs> right, like that's kind of my question with it. And then also to jump on that slogan is a little odd, but it had me questioning. So figured I'd throw it in here. I feel like, I feel like, uh, in in its own way, like, uh, like the '30s, everyone was pretty, uh, everyone was pretty down in the dumps. Yeah, but it's like more than that. You know, it's like there's like an angstiness to I feel like emo and emo music, mm. right? Like it's got and right. then they have to do those sweet guitar riffs. It's <laughs> <laughs> such yeah, a very sure. niche part of it. It's not all like that, to be fair. <laughs> sure, sure. Uh well thank you for your contribution. I forgot to write down uh, uh, mainly because okay. I because I was driving the uh the well ticket. that's good I'm glad you didn't obviously <laughs> take the time to do that mid drive that'd be dangerous thank you well I believe that brings us next to uncanny recommendations what do you have to recommend Joe uh let's see well for sure the book uh the weirdest people in the world how the West became psychologically peculiar and particularly prosperous uh by joseph heinrich that was the book i was mentioning uh during the tour i definitely recommend reading it i'm about halfway through the argument and i'm so far very intrigued um it's not it's 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 long most of the book is no like like a solid quarter is just notes to give you a perspective of how much evidence is going into this with studies and such but it's written in such a way that is it's very much talking to you and explaining what is going on and has a very nice pacing to it. So I'm not always crazy about nonfiction books that just feel boring. You know what I mean? Uh, even though mm-hmm. I love to read, but this one has really grabbed me and it is explain. There's a lot of charts that I don't quite understand, even though I did take AP psych in 
uh, high school and you know didn't really like it. But it, it, <laughs> it, this is very fascinating, and I think there's a lot of stuff in here that provides some answers to questions that we all have, and especially contemporary wise now it's pretty relevant mm -hmm. so i'm very curious to see how he starts to wrap things up but i'm definitely I, I i would say right now for sure recommending it and um i'm trying to think if i've seen any uh thing oh you know what i don't think i mentioned this before though but highly recommend checking out warrior on hbo max or max Ugh, you know I know the rebrand, but they, they, we got us. Hey, gotta you know what? Three. You know what? HBO, I think they have the, the esteemed distinction of not being the app with the worst rebrand hmm. this year. You know. Oh, true. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. How can we? You know. About X? I I think I think there's a bunch of people like being like, oh, thank God they stopped talking. About <laughs> yeah. Us. God, I cannot. That's a whole other thing. But um, oh, to, yeah, to, to historians looking back on this. You know, yeah, there you go. What could they possibly be talking about? Oh, oh, well, let's get back to uh, Xing each other on X. Oh, I hate it. I hate it so much. <laughs> um, but yeah, Warrior on Max or HBO Max. Definitely recommend checking that out. It's a really great show. We got fans mm -hmm. got a season three because they were going to cancel the show, but we got it back and it's a great one. So definitely recommend just in it time out. for the writers strike. I know. I <laughs> know. I well, yeah, it's weird promoting stuff during that, too, though. So yeah. I feel like we got to, you know, definitely in solidarity with them and the mm -hmm. actors as well, because this is very, very serious times for entertainment. But um, mm -hmm. people deserve living wages. They do. They do. Let's see. Let's see. Um, I've been reading Fifth Son. It has been so far fantastic uh, by Camilla Townsend. Uh, that is Fifth Son, A New History of the Aztecs. Mm. Um, yes, would definitely recommend. Very interesting read, especially if you've got kind of like a, you know, I think like us, a, a sort of base knowledge, the broad strokes, and you've always wanted to have a little bit more information on on what exactly was going on. Um I guess uh, also um, just a sort of a, a sort of a fun detached show uh, that Allison and I have been watching is uh, 1899. It is a uh, a, a mystery uh, kind of psycho thriller that um, we're not we're not finished with it yet, but it is um, at least it. It's fairly contained and and kind of interesting enough that I'm gonna tentatively say, you know what, this is this is kind of a fun, weird, uh, kind of historical, yeah, kind of psycho thriller, um, uh, type of show. Very, I, I know it's already been compared to, uh, you know, the the first season of Lost, but it definitely has that feeling. Hmm. Basically. The show opens with a uh, a woman uh, who is on a uh, on a uh, ocean liner crossing the crossing the Atlantic, and um, just sort of mysterious things that start to happen. You really feel the the claustrophobia of the ship, and you hmm. uh, got a lot of characters speaking a lot of different languages. You have to watch it with subtitles on um, because. And and it's also kind of interesting because like everyone on the ship speaks a different language, so nobody really understands each other. Interesting. Uh, so, but um, it is 
it's it's fun it's well acted and uh yeah no i'm i'm excited to see where it goes and i have been enjoying it also as a uh, musical recommendation i recently discovered uh buffalo nickels uh some really cool um kind of modern takes on uh, traditional blues music uh would definitely nice. recommend checking it out as well as uh westerman cool. which is a little more techno-y but mm. also very good um yeah well nice i guess uh that brings us to uh what is going on outside of the museum what do you have to plug joe uh not really too much at the moment just wrapped up the exhibition in munich so if you were at that or saw it on you know the the website and instagram you know thank you for viewing those um it's really just you know our ghost modern stuff going on but otherwise yeah ghost modern yeah exactly um Mm -hmm. that's pretty much it on my end how about yourself uh, I have my show coming up at the Folk House Collective on September 2nd. Uh, definitely, uh, if you're in uh, the Hudson Valley area, uh, you can come check that out in Kingston, New York. Um, we'll be having a little reception, maybe even some music and stuff, but that'll be unveiling my sculptural work, which is uh, something I'm very excited about. Um, also, yes, uh, yesterday, by the time you're hearing this, we will have released our second single as Ghost Modern. Um, this is actually, I think, is it fair to say this is one of our favorite songs that we, uh, that we did off this, uh, upcoming album? I think so, yeah. I would Mm -hmm. say so. So, we hope you all enjoy it, too, and we hope you're all excited for us, uh, releasing this album as well, uh, in the coming month. Uh, or so, uh, and hopefully many, many more uh, musical things. I've mm-hmm. got some other surprises uh, coming up. Oh, but, yeah. Uh, yeah. Also, I guess by the time you're hearing this, uh, I will be in North Carolina uh, getting yeah. uh, doing my uh, uh, workshop. So too late to sign up for that if you're listening oh, to man. this now. Um, <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, no, I'm sure uh, I'm sure that will be great. Absolutely. Uh, Great. If you want to find the museum after hours, uh, if you want to ask us anything, correct us on anything, um, add to the conversation, you can email us at uncannycountymuseum at gmail.com. If you want to find us on Instagram, we are at uncannycountymuseum. If you want to find me on Instagram, I'm at Xanosaurus. And I'm at Josemino Art on Instagram. And from the Uncanny County Museum, I have been Sam Peters. And I've been Josemino. Chaloha. It means both hello and goodbye.